welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Welcome back to Tech Law Talks. I'm Christine Morgan, a partner in Reed Smith's Intellectual Property Group in San Francisco, joined today by Hallie Wimberly. Thanks, Christine. My name is Hallie Wimberly. I'm an associate in Reed Smith's Houston office, and I'm a registered patent attorney, and I do a lot of patent litigation. I've had the pleasure of working with Christine on an Alice motion, which is our topic of discussion today. So for those of you who don't know, Chris, what is an Alice motion? So an Alice motion is a motion to invalidate a software patent. There was a decision called Alice versus CLS Bank by the Supreme Court that came down in 2014 which in my opinion, basically called into question the validity of all software patents. And so what has happened since 2014 is that defendants facing computer hardware and software litigation, patent litigation, have brought, when appropriate, a so-called Alice motion to invalidate the asserted patent. And the basis for invalidating the patent is what the Alice court described is that you cannot patent an abstract idea. And we can get into the law behind that and the reasoning, but let's just cut to the chase and say that since that decision came down, it provided a very valuable tool for defendants to file motions early in a case to get rid of patents that are really just claiming ideas and not improvement to technology. Okay, so what are some examples of types of inventions that have been invalidated under Alice? So Alice itself, the decision involved a computerized business method of uh, intermediated settlement. So early on in the evolution of the law in this area, a lot of patents to business methods have been found just to be abstract ideas and therefore not eligible for patenting under Section 101 of the patent laws. Since that time, uh, many other different types of patents have been invalidated. And a common type of patent that courts believe to be abstract are patents that merely manipulate information by either analyzing it, collecting it, sending it, displaying it, because these are things humans have done for ages. So that's another kind of bucket, if you will, of patents that have been invalidated. Math, patents involving math have been found to be abstract. You can't patent math. And this really, all of these decisions really go to the underlying reason for why you can't patent an abstract idea is that it ties up technological innovation. You can't simply say, hey, I have an idea. I'm going to make insurance policy shopping really easy by putting it on a computer and having you enter your information about what kind of policy you want and spitting out some information back to you. You can't tie up a whole field like that with a patent. Patents are meant to to capture new and useful inventions, and they're not allowed to extend to things that humans can do or have done in their minds or with pen and paper. 
So those are a couple kind of buckets of types of patents that have been invalidated under Alice. So on the flip side of that, what are some types of inventions that have been challenged but survived the Alice challenge? So the kinds of patents that seem to be surviving just as a general observation, are patents that improve the way a computer operates. For example, there was a decision by the Federal Circuit called ENFISH, and that invention improved the way that computers stored and retrieved information from memory. So something that fundamentally impacts and improves the way a computer operates seems to be something the courts believe is eligible and survives an Alice challenge. Another theme I see emerging are patents involving certain 3D technology. There was a federal circuit decision called McGrow, which involved uh, this fancy 3D lip animation and synchronization technology, and the court upheld that patent. So to me, it seems like the 3D aspect feels a little bit more tangible and less abstract. And so courts seem to uphold those kinds of patents. There are other just kind of one-off types of patents that have survived, but those, those two are kind of the common themes that seem to be emerging most recently in the federal circuit case law. Interesting. So now, I mean, to, you know, the meat of it, how do you win an Alice motion? So this is going to sound very obvious and very simple, The problem is it's just super (laughs) time-consuming. But if you follow these three simple but time-consuming steps, you will win an Alice motion. And the first simple step, but also very time-consuming, is to read and study the patents at issue and know them backwards and forwards and look at the claims and compare those to claims that have been invalidated in the case law because courts often ask you, What's your best case? What's, why should I invalidate this patent? What other case does it look like? This is a case-made area of the law, so the decisions uh, are important to compare the patent to. The other thing to know when you're reading a patent is you want to find all the admissions in the patent that the elements of the claims, and those are found at the end of the patent, all of the elements of the claims are routine and conventional. Alice has a two-part test for deciding whether a patent is abstract. First, they look at, is it directed to an abstract idea? Is it something humans have always done? Is it math? Is it a business method? And then the second step is, is there any inventive concept in the claim? Is there something more than routine and conventional elements or or functionally described um, software? And so one thing to do is go through the whole patent and find, is there any admission that the claim elements are routine and conventional? And many times for older patents, they actually use those words, conventional. You can use a conventional encryption method, or you can use a general purpose computer. If you find little sound bites like that, that's very helpful for your motion. So that's step one, know your patent. Step two, as I already suggested, know the law. This is a case-made law that has now, I guess we're on year year eight since Alice. There's a ton of cases to read. And the, the cases to really read are the federal circuit cases. Um, but trying to draw a straight line through that case law is impossible unless you read all the cases, which sounds daunting, but it is important. And, and you know, another thing that I do that 
sounds a little like too much, but I listen to the federal circuit oral argument recordings, especially on cases where I don't understand the outcome. Like I look at the patent and I go, oh, that, that shouldn't have been upheld. I listen to the attorney's oral argument, but more importantly, the federal circuit judges questions. And a lot of times baked into those questions are the, the judge's summary of their decisional law in the area. So it's super educational and helpful to understanding where they're at right now with Section 101. And then this last step, this third step, actually probably should be the first step. But know your judge. If you're in a district with a judge that has never invalidated a patent at the Rule 12 stage under Section 101 or ALICE, it's probably a pretty big clue that you should not be filing an Alice motion before that judge early, or, or maybe at all. Look at the judge's opinions in this area. And then I do this too, which might sound like a little too much, but I read all the transcripts from that judge's 101 hearings because I want to see what the questions are. And the questions will reveal the level of involvement that particular judge has had in this area of law. A lot of judges are still learning it, just as a lot of lawyers are still learning it. It's, it's very, uh, as I said, time-consuming to read all the federal circuit decisions and understand the law fully. So I don't fault jurists for not knowing the law in this area, but when you read a transcript, you can kind of tell where they're at with, uh, with the law, and then you can tailor your motion accordingly. Some judges like to hear you analogize the patent to something that has been done like as early as in the Roman times, <laughs> like find some human analogy that, uh, that will help them understand the patent is directed to an abstract concept. Other judges are very sophisticated in this area and they don't need those kinds of analogies, which are pretty easy for a plaintiff to blow up anyway. Then finally, just along the, the same lines of knowing the judge, and trying to win your motion, I think demonstratives can be very powerful if they provide all the, you know, what I like to do is put all the admissions from the patent about the elements being routine and conventional, like have the actual language from the patent on a slide to show the judge and point the judge to the key passages. Um, sometimes I've done animations of how claims work to show that they're just moving information around, although they may be very wordy and sound technical when you boil it down to what is this patent actually doing and show it with a moving picture that can be very effective and that's that's really the formula know know the patents know the law and know the judge simple yeah. but extremely time consuming yeah yeah that that's a great roadmap for for prepping so another procedural kind of a procedural issue what do you bring alice motions at motion to dismiss or summary judgment stage? Uh, what are some of the benefits and disadvantages to those? So there again, it kind of depends on the judge. A lot of judges or some judges would prefer to hold the claim construction or I guess in lay terms, the patent interpretation hearing before deciding an Alice motion, in which case you might need to wait for a Rule 12c or summary judgment motion to raise the Alice issue. I like to do Rule 12 motions if I have a receptive audience, because if a patent is invalid under 101, it's obvious from the face of the patent. There's no need to do discovery. 
or even claim construction in many instances. So I think it's, again, it's highly court dependent, but I think Rule 12 is a good time to bring these motions if they're viable. Well, along those lines, I, I mean, at the Rule 12 stage, the court has to accept allegations as true. So what if you have allegations in the complaint that the patent is not directed to an abstract idea? How do you get around that? That is a common tactic for patentees. And sometimes I've seen complaints with expert declarations attached to them that you know try to portray the patent as concrete and you know, groundbreaking and improving technology and not merely routine and conventional. Again, this is, I guess, a court-dependent issue, but a lot of times courts see through those types of declarations as really just being legal conclusions. And they kind of view the declarations as suspect because if you need somebody else to tell you what the patent is about and add things to it, then invariably they're changing the scope of the claims of the patents or adding something to the patents that isn't there. So I I just argue most of the time because it's true that those kinds of declarations amount to merely legal conclusions that don't impact the analysis of Section 101. And again, most judges see through those. Some have sometimes found in a complaint or in a, a declaration some factual allegation that has precluded dismissal at the early stage, but that doesn't mean you can't try again later. So it sounds like you're, you are skeptical about experts' usefulness in Alice motions. Are, I mean, are there circumstances where you would use experts, either side, defendant or plaintiff, that would be helpful? I mean, I think a plaintiff is always going to try to throw an expert declaration in there either with the complaint or in opposition to the motion to dismiss. Um, the only time I've seen defense side expert declarations are when you're trying the issue or you're, you've, you're already passed summary judgment. Maybe you would use a, a defense side expert for summary judgment, but that's just going to turn into a battle of the experts and create triable issues. So once you get to trial, then both sides are definitely going to have experts talk about mostly whether the claims are routine and conventional and non-inventive at step two of the Alice test. And, and juries have been actually considering these issues recently because courts where they've denied summary judgment or a Rule 12 motion, the issue gets all the way to the jury trial. It's been interesting to see how juries grapple with that issue. It provides the defense an opportunity if it gets all the way to a jury trial to show what the state of the art was at the time of the patent. And that can be helpful to show the patent was not groundbreaking and it was not creating any technological invention. So even if an issue gets all the way to the jury, which you ideally don't want to have that issue decided that late in the game, it provides an opportunity to explain the state of the art and show that this patent was not the groundbreaking technological improvement that the patentee claims it is. So, I mean, you you just said that this could go all the way to the jury, but I mean, if you don't win early, if you do it at the motion to dismiss stage and and you don't get that win and that, what do you do? What can happen? It depends on what your ruling was. If you are unfortunate enough to get a ruling that upholds the patent at step one of the Alice test, you can't really 
you can't really bring it again. The courts kind of decided the issue as a as a matter of law. I guess you could you could try to convince the judge that that was an incorrect ruling because other discovery came to light and and let's try again. But if you in the usual case, the court will deny the motion without prejudice to bringing it later, and hopefully by that time you bring it later at the time of summary judgment, you've obtained good deposition admissions from inventors or, or the other side's experts. Uh, and you just bring it again and you try, maybe the law has evolved. The law changes rapidly in this area. So sometimes you may have had, you know, kind of a weak 101 motion and it got stronger. Other times you may have had a strong 101 motion and it got weaker. So again, it's a rapidly evolving area of the law. You just kind of have to see what the circumstances are of your case and the federal circuit law in the area. Okay, great. Well, thank you. I think that does it for us. Any last pieces of advice before we log off, Chris? You know, just study hard, read the patents, read the law, study your judge, and you should be able to put together a winning motion or decide that you cannot bring one. But we're here at Reed Smith and available to discuss the issue if anyone wants to reach out to us. And thank you for listening. All right. Thank you so much. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.